closure, uh, just us here on Sunday mornings doing everything live, and then it came to just me and Nick and Jonathan, and we were pre-recording, and, and so I've spent the last nine, ten Sundays preaching to a camera, to an empty room. One Sunday, there was a bunch of uh, dolls out here. I think that was the second or third Sunday, and, and, and so it's good to see a few faces. I know that we have people online that are watching this, this service as well, so I want to welcome you this morning. It's been a while, but it's good to be back. Um, I want you to think about this. It's good not to be in the house of God. It is good to be with the house of God. There is a big, big difference in that. Theologically, there's a big difference. I love how Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He doesn't say you are coming to the household. He says you are the house. And so when we gather at the church campus, we bring the church with us this morning. Uh, we are the house of God. I saw a statement this week by Mark Dever. He's the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist. He's one of the uh, pastors that I follow. I, I look up to greatly. We, in fact, when this all happened, uh, all but one of our elders, we were up in D.C. at a weekender event. I wasn't going to preach that Sunday, March 15th. We were going to be there. We were there. And, uh, and we ended up coming home after one night. We were up there for a conference on eldership. And so Mark Dever is a, a tremendous blessing to the church. And he said this statement this week. He says, many in the media and the government seem to think Christians want to be in churches. They've misunderstood what a church is. It's not a sacred place where we long to be in. It's a people that we long to be with. See, we want to be together, assembled, a church, wherever it is that we meet. And I've traveled not all over the world, but I've been in a lot of places around the world, and I've worshiped with the church in those places. And it doesn't matter if we're in a, in a mud-thatched hut, if we're in a, a, a hotel somewhere in Europe, it doesn't matter if we're in a grand cathedral or a Southern Baptist congregation here in the South. We are the church when we gather together. And so it's good to be back this morning. And I would just simply say amen to Mark Dever's statement. During the shutdown, uh, we've had to rethink a lot of how we approach church and how we do it remotely. We stopped meeting physically. We stopped doing physical services. We moved to a digital connection strategy. And as good as that is, it's never the same. The Bible doesn't call us to a digital connection, uh, even though we've had to utilize that. We've had uh, to use text messages and phone calls and emails and Zoom calls and FaceTime live streams and, and other things to connect during this part departure, during this time away, but it is good to be together this morning. Why is it important that we gather bodily? It's because we are a community of faith. We are the body of Christ. We gather together. We are uh, made in the image and the likeness of God. And as we know, as we look at the Trinity in Scripture, God is a community. There is great community between the Father, between the Son, between the Holy Spirit. And we're made in His image. We bear His likeness. Therefore, as a church, we are to and we desire to experience biblical community among ourselves. See, if you read the Bible, you study specifically the New Testament, you're never going to see the New Testament teach, uh, teach on the church and speak of the church, devoid of the church meeting bodily, meeting together, meeting in physical community with one another. There is no substitute for it. And so as good as Facebook live stream is, as good as digital components are, they never are sufficient to be a substitute for meeting together. There's nothing like face-to-face -face interaction. There's nothing like 
uh, encouraging one another across the table, across the room, across the worship center. There is no replacement for ecclesia, the assembly of God's people. Amen? That was terrible. Amen? All right. I needed to hear that because I hadn't heard that in so long, so I needed to hear that. Well, welcome this morning. As I've already said, it's good to be together on this first Sunday back. Uh, It's special, not because it's a building, not because we're on our campus. And we've done a lot to our campus since you've been gone. We've installed um, automatic doors on our handicap areas. I think we did the sidewalk before we broke, but that's been finished. We we power washed the whole building. We've cleaned this building inside and out. I mean, there's been a lot of things happening. So it's good to be on a physical campus, but we meet here as the church, not meeting the church, right? So turn in your Bible, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. And this morning, since we are the body of Christ, I want to speak and I want to talk about our confession. What is our confession? There's a lot we could say there. But as we prepare our hearts and minds to observe the Lord's Supper, I believe these verses out of Hebrews chapter 10 speak to who we are as a people, speak to what Christ has done for us to make us his people, and then it helps us understand the, the, the symbolism and the importance of observing the Lord's Supper. So if you will, let's read the first 25 verses of this chapter. Verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Let me just parenthetically say this. The writer of Hebrews is writing to believers, Hebraic Jewish believers. He's writing in the day in which the temple still existed. Sacrifices were still being offered. So you need to know that as you read this chapter. So let's continue. Verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So the writer here is, is using, he's becoming a commentary even to the words that he's saying, thankfully. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has prepared for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what this passage of Scripture declares to us. Lord, we're thankful that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who has redeemed us. We have a God who has brought us together as His body. And, Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we have and we gain from one another. And, Lord, I pray your blessings upon this time as we look into this passage. Teach us, remind us, strengthen us, and encourage us in our faith as we observe the Lord's Supper, as we think about your sacrifice, and as we draw strength from one another. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of an English village whose chapel had an arch on which was written, We Preach Christ Crucified. And as we read through that text there, that's what you saw. The, the, the whole passage is about Jesus being crucified, about him being on the cross, shedding his blood, dying, being buried, obviously then re- being resurrected. And so this chapel's uh, arch had this statement written on it, We Preach Christ Crucified. Crucified, And for years and years and years, godly preachers stood in the pulpit and preached that same message. They preached Christ crucified. They preached Christ as the only means of salvation. But then that generation of pastors and leaders died, and a new generation of pastors and leaders arose. This new generation began to consider the cross and the message of the cross antiquated and even repulsive. And so they no longer preach Christ crucified. They only preach Christ and his example rather than through his blood. So they preached Christ. Later on, the church decided that the message needed not even to be about Christ and the Bible. And so the preachers began to give discourses on social issues and politics and philosophy, moral rearrangement. Uh, rearmament, I should say it, whatever else seemed to spark the interest of the people. And so the ivy began to grow and grow and began to block out these words, and eventually the, the statement only read, we preach. You see, if we're a church that doesn't believe in the crucifixion of Christ, if we don't believe in the blood of Jesus, if we don't believe in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we really have nothing together for We have nothing to get excited about because we have no salvation. As we look at the church in the New Testament, what we see is that the church was absolutely, unequivocally committed to the crucifixion of Christ, to the blood, to the blood sacrificially atoning, uh, atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no other alternative for them. They preached Christ. In fact, that's what Paul said. That, that he wanted to know nothing, is what he told the Galatians, other than Christ and Christ crucified. So why was Paul so committed to this? Why was the church so committed to this? It was because he and the church knew that everything in the Christian life hinged on the crucifixion. Without the death, the penal, substitutionary, atoning sacrifice of Christ, there was no salvation. And so the writer of Hebrews also understood this. If we were to look back at the ninth chapter of this book, we would see there that the writer is talking about the necessity of Christ, that Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed. 
We move into chapter 10, what we've just read and what follows. And we see here the writer talking about the character of Christ's sacrifice and what it did in fulfilling all that the Old Testament was pointing to. The writer here emphasizes the perfect sacrifice of Jesus in contrast with the imperfect sacrifices of the Levitical law. The, the things that had to continually be offered. The sacrifices that needed to daily be given to the Lord. So he's offering here a new covenant versus the old covenant. A better covenant versus an inferior covenant. The Lord's superior priesthood belongs to a better order. It's Melchizedek versus Aaron, or rather than Aaron. It, this new covenant functions on the basis of the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats. It's a sacrifice that is superior. This is the theme of this chapter. And so this better sacrifice is our confession as followers of Jesus. It's our confession. So what do we do in the Lord's Supper? We're confessing our faith in Jesus. We're confessing our faith in his sacrificial atoning sacrifice on the cross, offering on the cross. What are we doing with baptism? We're talking and we're confessing our faith, our belief that in Jesus we have everything that we need. As I was talking with these young ladies before the service began, I, I did what I always do with people. I take my ring off, and I say, if I take this ring off, which I can't get it off my finger, if I take this off, am I no longer married to Miss Kara? No, you're still married to Miss Kara. Okay, what does this mean? Well, it's a symbol. It doesn't mean that when I put it on, I'm married, and when I take it off, I'm not married. No, it symbolizes the commitment that I made years ago, and that's what baptism is. It's a person symbolizing to the world, saying, I'm with Jesus. I believe that when he died on the cross, his blood was sufficient for me. So this morning, I want to share with you a few aspects of our confession before we observe the Lord's Supper. First thing I want you to see is this. The sacrificial offering of Christ upon the cross satisfied the justice of God. The justice of God. Sin is man's greatest problem, right? The greatest problem in your life, the greatest problem in my life, the greatest problem in any person's life is sin. So before you came to know Jesus, the thing that separated you from God is not because you didn't grow up in the right denomination, you didn't grow up in the right faith, it, because you didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks, or any sort of thing you want to put into that equation. Those things don't matter. The problem in our lives is sin. Therefore, the greatest need in our life is atonement. Atonement is the greatest need that we have. The reality of this problem is innate within every single person. Every one of us know that we have a sin problem. Every religion teaches in some form or fashion that we have a sin problem. They go about the, the remedy for that in different ways. They have different actions. They've got different worship practices, different ways to, to fix the problem, correct the issue. But all of them teach the presence and the reality of sin. The Bible tells us that man by nature is a sinner. Therefore, his choice to sin proves his nature is sinful, and sin condemns us, the Bible tells us. It condemns us before a holy God. It brings us under his just judgment. It also separates us from God. 
For the wages of sin is death. There's the judgment. And that death is eternal separation from God. So no matter what we do as a human, no matter what we try to do to earn or garner favor with God, to earn our way back to the Lord, to try to be religious, none of it is successful. None of it is good enough. Nothing can bridge the gap between us and our sin and God in His holiness. We're under His judgment. And so man is without hope. This reality was also true of the Jews who placed their hopes in the Levitical sacrifices. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's pointing out the inadequacies of the Levitical law. He's not saying it was wrong. He's not saying it was bad. He's just saying it wasn't good enough. So what we see in the, in, in, the, in the sacrifice of Jesus is that he satisfied the justice of God. Here in the first ten verses, the writer's making the point that the sacrificing of lambs and bulls never is sufficient to atone for sin. In fact, the, the, the offering actually revealed its inadequacies according to verse 3. He's saying if, if they, they were enough, then why do we have to offer a sacrifice the next day? Why do we have to offer a sacrifice the next year on the Day of Atonement? The reality is they were never meant to be enough. They can never fully forgive sin. So what we see in the law is a shadow. It's a shadow of a better sacrifice to come. These sacrifices of the law, they pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that was going to be made by the Messiah. And the Bible tells us the Messiah is Jesus. You tracking with me? Right? Tracking with me? All right. I know you're used to looking at a screen. It's a live person. You're all on Facebook. You're still looking at a screen. So Jesus comes, he's God in the flesh, God incarnate, lived a holy, perfect life, died completely fulfilling the will, the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. He's sinless, therefore the blood he shed upon the cross satisfied the justice of God against sin. See, God in his holiness has to, he must punish sin because it is in rebellion against him. And so what happens with Jesus is he comes as a perfect lamb in accordance to all that the law would have said. And his blood is sufficient to atone for sin. So the Father, God the Father, exhausts his wrath upon God the Son who stands in our place as a substitute. And because his blood was worthy to be offered, he makes the substitution. It is enough. That's why Jesus, when he's on the cross, is to tell us that it is finished. It is enough. This is our confession. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name by which we must save. There's a second thing I want you to see. The sacrificial offering of Christ upon the cross perfects the broken sinner. The writer of Hebrews here continues to contrast the Levitical high priest with what he's going to call the great high priest. He's he's contrasting the old covenant priest with the new covenant priest, that is Jesus. See, the Levitical priest stood daily offering sacrifices which could never take away sins, according to verse 11. They could never cover sins, or they couldn't ultimately cover sins. They could only temporarily and postpone judgment temporarily, but the offering of animals and bulls and everything else could never effect a once and for all type of atonement, type of redemption. But verse 12 tells us, look what he says in verse 12. But when Christ, don't you love the, this is going to sound bad, don't you love the buts in the, in the Bible? <laughs> Boy, I hope that doesn't become a meme by somebody around the world. The writer here is making this argument. 
that the Old Testament, though it pointed to a Messiah, though it pointed to a salvation, though it pointed to redemption and, and a covering of sin, everything that the Old Covenant was saying was never sufficient enough. But Christ, it says, but Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. So what's happening here is that when tens of thousands, if not hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animal sacrifices could not accomplish, Jesus in one sacrifice forever accomplished salvation for humanity. Do you see what the writer is saying here, what Jesus has done for us? He perfects the broken sinner. He sat down, the Bible says, signifying completion. It signifies victory. It signifies his exaltation because he has done what nothing else could ever do. Now broken sinners who look to Jesus find healing. They find forgiveness. They find redemption. They're made perfect positionally by his righteousness and then are on a trajectory, trajectory to practically live out their sanctification in Christ. Now the Old Testament believer was saved on faith, trusting in the Messiah, all that these sacrifices were pointing to. So the sacrifice in the Old Covenant was never sufficient in and of itself. And Jesus makes that point. This is our confession. His death upon the cross enabled broken sinners to be redeemed and remade in Him. His image. There's a third aspect to this confession. The sacrificial offering of Christ upon the cross, made us members of the house of God. Look there at verse 19. The writer says, therefore, brothers. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, what do you ask? What's it there for? So it's, it's, a, it's a connection type of word. And so it's building upon what he's already said, especially in these letters that are written in the Bible. So he's building up his theology, he's building up his doctrine, his teaching, and now he's going to make the, the jump to what it really is pointing to. So in light of all that Jesus has done, he is the greater sacrifice. Now what does it mean for us as the church? So what he's saying here is this, in light of all that Jesus has secured, in light of all that he's accomplished for believers, this is how we should live out our confession as God's family. The victory won on the cross brings us into it. It makes us a part of the family of God. We become, what he says in verses 24 and 25, we become the household of God. We are part of his temple. See, you're not the temple alone. We are the temple. You're one part of it. You're not the house of God. You're part of the house of God. That's why when we talk about I don't need to be a part of a church to be a follower of Jesus, that may be true on some level. But you'll never see that in Scripture that a Christian is a lone ranger. No, a Christian is connected to the body of Christ. They may not be meeting with the body of Christ at certain times, but it usually is, if not always in the New Testament, it's because there's persecution preventing that. John is on the island of Patmos, right? He wasn't with the church because he couldn't be with the church. But if he could have been with the church, he would have been with the church, right? Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, I love verse 10, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And today we are the church. Today we are the people of God. Today we are the family of God. We are the house of God solely because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus that was shed, that covered and paid the penalty for our sin. His sacrifice is what makes it possible, not for us to meet in a room, 
but for us to be the people of God, the house of God, the church of God. It makes us, as illegitimate sons and daughters, able to be adopted as full co-heirs with Christ. This is our confession. We're the people of God. We're the people of God because Jesus' blood connects us. You know, one of the beauties of the church is this. We come from all walks of life. Churches ought to be reflective of their communities as far as racial and ethnicities and all that stuff. Churches ought to be reflective of their community as far as socioeconomic and educational differences and any other category you want. And so what happens in the church is that people from all different walks of life can come together under one banner, and that banner is the Lord Jesus, and we don't care about our differences. We don't care about what side of the tracks we grew up on. None of that matters because we're equal at the foot of the cross. That was a really good place to say amen. I know you're out of practice, but Nate's on the back back there. I can't hear Nate anymore. I need Nate. Nate, you got to set up here from now on, brother. So this morning on this first day back, um, we remember the hope of this confession through the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus commanded that when he was eating that meal with his disciples the night he was betrayed, he commanded that you're to do this in remembrance of me. And so in the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to use this communion cup for, we remember Jesus. But it's more than just remembering a name. I want you to think about this with me. It's more than just a simple name. What is in a name? I thought of this Friday. In a name, wrapped up in a name, is a certain personality. Jesus had a certain personality. He was gentle and kind, long-suffering, loving. Wrapped up in a name is a list of characteristics. We could also say that about he was gentle and kind and giving, but also a record of work. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was, he gave to people. He healed people. He he did miracles. He resurrected people. And so when we remember Jesus through this meal, taking the bread, taking the, the wine, what we are doing is we're remembering who Jesus was as a person and what Jesus did as a person. He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. His blood was shed. He, he suffered pain. He suffered agony. He suffered separation from the Father, which is so mind-boggling when you think about that. How can God, who is one, be separated from one another? And yet there was a moment when the Father turned his back on him. We remember his acts of righteousness. We celebrate the salvation that we've experienced in Jesus and the hope that we have of eternal life. And so before we take of this sacred meal, we need to make sure that we're prepared. We always, if you will, fence the table and talk about how we should and who should observe this meal. I want to just lay out three things about this this morning. First of all, this meal is for believers only. At Red Lane, we practice, I don't know if you call it closed or open. When I think about it, I'm sure I don't, I don't, everybody would kind of gauge it different. Here's how we would define it, though. At Red Lane, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if you're a member of our church, but you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this meal is for you. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so this meal is to be observed only for those who have confessed their sin to the Lord, placed faith in Him for forgiveness as Lord over their life. This meal is for only those type of people. If you've not done so, 
then we would just simply ask that you not observe this morning. Secondly, it's for baptized believers. See, this is an ordinance for the church, and so we believe that the Bible would connect that to baptism because baptism is that first step of obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ. I told my daughter this morning, I was like, hey, babe, uh, we're on our way to church. I was like, this morning, you, you placed your faith in Jesus. You're going to be baptized. You can observe the Lord's Supper with us. I don't know if she was excited about it or not, but uh, I was excited about it for her. It's for baptized believers, those who've placed faith in Jesus and been baptized, biblically baptized, as a follower of Jesus. And then thirdly, it's to be partaken in a worthy manner. I always point this out. But Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 warns the Corinthian believers to not take the Lord's Supper in a haphazard way. You know, some were getting, uh, not eating and thinking they could go there and, and eat a meal. It was almost like gluttony. Some were going there and, and I guess maybe even drinking so much wine that they were getting drunk. And so they were misusing. Some were walking into this meal with unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin. And so Paul says, hey, this is the reason because you're coming at this meal with such haphazardness, with such flippancy. And, and so this is the why some of you are sick and some of you have even died. So come at this meal in a manner that's worthy and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean you're sinless? No. But as best you know how, we ought to come to this meal saying, Lord Jesus, there's not an unconfessed sin in my life that I know of. And if there's something that I've not yet confessed, open my heart to that. I want to be right with you. We dare not share this meal with sin in our hearts and our minds. So thankfully, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us that if we confess our sin, the Lord is faithful to forgive us of all sin. So this morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus here or on Facebook Live, I want to encourage you. This is the greatest need in your life. Sin is your greatest problem. Redemption is your greatest need. This morning, God will forgive you. God will redeem you if you will simply call upon him in faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're with us online, you can go to our Contact Us page on our website. Just simply find that button, click it, and just let us know this morning, I want to place my faith in Jesus, and we will follow up with you today and help you make that decision. This morning, if you're in this room, we're not going to have a public come forward invitation, but the same would be true of you as well. Most of you have smartphones, and if you have that, and I see you on it, I'm going to think that you need to talk with, uh, I'm, this is a joke by the way, I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. But seriously, if you need to make a profession of faith or you need to, to, to have someone to talk to spiritually, reach out to us. You can do it through our website. You can email us at info at redlanebaptist.org or simply grab me or one of our elders or staff after this, and we will help you. Also, same would be true if you need to be baptized. You want to join our church. All of those ways, we would encourage you to reach out to us. Let's spend the rest of our time worshiping the Lord and magnify Him through the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read some scripture out of Luke 22, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And as I pray, um, you just use this time to reflect, ask the Lord to speak into your life, and maybe show you sin that you don't even know you have, or something you do know you are holding on to. And this is time to, to confess it, give it away. I love 1 John 1, 9 that I alluded to just a moment ago. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice he made for us. Lord, we glory in the fact that the blood perfectly, completely covers all of our sin. Or the Old Testament would say this, the Old Testament prophet, 
Our sin, though like scarlet, is made clean like wool. Lord, let's been clean. It's made clean like snow, perfectly white, no blemish, no spot. We glory in that this morning. We rejoice in that. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments as we observe this meal, as we remember your sacrifice, we remember your character, your example, your body of work. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look inside, be introspective. Lord, I pray that you would point out any and all sin. Help us to confess and repent of that sin. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to make much of you. So speak into our hearts, even right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, observing the Lord's Supper, or I guess Passover meal, technically with his disciples there on the night he was betrayed. Luke 22, it says this. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. If you want to take a moment and just open your communion cup, it's a little different this morning. There's two little tabs. We're going to do the bread first. If you want to grab the first tab and rip that off, you'll be able to take the wafer out. You'll take that out and just hold it for just a moment. Let's thank the Lord for his body that was given for us. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your body that was bruised, beaten, mocked. Lord, all the pain, all the suffering that you endured was for us. And so this morning, we remember what you did, your sacrifice. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Likewise, if you want to take that second tab and carefully pull it back. I'm going to hold it up. Let's thank the Lord for his blood that this symbolizes. Likewise, Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your blood. The blood that was shed on the cross. The blood that atones perfectly for our sin. The blood that cleanses us. Lord, it's greater than the blood of bulls and goats. It's the blood of the sinless Lamb of God. This morning, those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, we are clean because of your blood. We're not clean because of good works. We're not clean because of religion. We're clean only because of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for it, and we glory in it. In Jesus' name.
you want to hold on to that cup when we dismiss in the morning, in, in a moment, not in the morning. We'll be here a while. Uh, when you, we dismiss in a moment, the doors that you'll go out, there's a trash can, and we would ask that you just take that with you and place it in the trash can as you go. This is about to, time to conclude our service. We're going to sing before we leave. Can we do that? Uh, but before we do, I want to just pray for us one last time, pray over our offering. We're not going to receive our offering as normal as far as passing things. We're not doing any of that. So when I dismiss you in just a little bit, uh, there are offering plates in the designated areas. You're going to go in one of two ways, and I will direct you after we sing. But um, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the offering. Father, we thank you again for this last hour that we've been able to spend together. So good to be together as your family, your church, the house of God. We thank you for the sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you collectively. Lord, I pray your blessings upon our church family as we go. I pray for us this week that you'd help us to be all that we can be and all that we should be for you. Lord, I pray for this offering that we're about to receive. Thank you so much for continuing to be faithful, continuing to provide for your church. Lord, the last two and a half months have been incredible from a financial standpoint. In the midst of all of this, Lord, your people have continued to be faithful and generous. God, I pray your blessings according to Malachi 3 upon us because of our generosity and our faithfulness in the area of giving. God, bless this offering. Use it for your glory. Use it for the good of the people in our community and around the world as the gospel is proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Let's sing Waymaker again.
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning, and this is going to conclude our service. Here's the instructions of how we're going to go. If you're on my right, on this side of the worship center, you're going to go out the back, starting from the back of the worship center. So just kind of file out, keep social distancing, go out that way, and then you can congregate outside and do whatever you want out there. There's offering plates in the uh, foyer for you, and everything you'll need out there is hand sanitizer. If you're on my left, the same thing, but you're going to go out the ramp, the handicap door, and then you can file out to where your cars are. But thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great, great, great week. Amen.